as I uh, continue to work with Virginia Baptists, uh, Mission Board, um, periodically in other churches. Always a treat for me to be back uh, in Bonsack and to worship here. And I never take for granted the music that we enjoy for worship week after week. Thank you, Vicki, and thank you, Susan. Um, it is such an inspiration and such a joy. Uh, Dr. Cadenhead is leading us in a series of messages on the fruit of the Spirit. And I am going to continue that series with a focus this morning on goodness. Now, um, I'd like for you to take your Bibles first and turn to the book of Luke. Um, it is um, Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. And beginning with verse 43, Jesus um, makes an important comment about goodness. Verse 43, no good fruit bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. And each tree is recognized by its own fruit. In other words, people don't pick up figs, pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. And then here's his point. A good man brings forth things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings forth evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. It's because the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. Now, if you would, with that in mind, turn to Galatians chapter 5. And I um, want to put in context what Paul is saying about the fruit of the Spirit. So, uh, if you would, look at verse 16. So, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. See, they're in conflict with each other. So you're not to do whatever you want, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then to clarify what he means with regard to the flesh, he says in verse 19, now the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, but also idolatry and witchcraft and hatred, discord and 
jealousy and fits of rage, and also selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In other words, that's not the whole list. It's a representation of what you already know, he says. And I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Um, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, we're in a war. Uh, we're in a battle. Um, and Paul describes it as a struggle over our own souls between what he calls the flesh and God's Spirit. Look again at verse 16. Live by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature because they are in conflict with each other. So you can't do everything that you want to do. Now, that's the same thing in a different way Paul says in Romans chapter 7 where he says this, there is a war raging inside of me. There's nothing that lives that's any good in my sinful nature because I desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. The fruit of the Spirit is in the context of a war or a battle he says there's a war going on in every believer between our own self-trusting, um, self-centered nature that we were born with and the Spirit of God who by faith we let into our lives. Um, and, and, and there's a conflict between what we normally, naturally are inclined to do and what God is trying to do when his spirit is inside of us. Now, he says the sinful nature is obvious. And he mentions sexual immorality. Uh, he mentions witchcraft. He mentions hatred, discord, and rage. He mentions selfish ambition. Uh, drunkenness, orgies, and so forth. All who live like this, he says, will never see the kingdom of God. Um, there is a battle going on inside of you if you're a Christian between your sinful nature and between what God is desperately trying to produce in your life and in mine. What is that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, and the like. Um, and if you don't realize that there's a battle, then the wrong side is winning inside of you today. 
If you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, I don't know what he's talking about. There's no battle inside of me. At least when you leave here today, you would have learned something about yourself. Because if you're a Christian and God's Spirit's inside, there is a war, a battle going on between what you are naturally born with and the Spirit of God. Now, the other thing I want to underscore um, is that the fruit of the Spirit, as Dr. Cadenhead has said repeatedly, is not something we can produce ourselves. Sexual immorality, hatred, selfish ambition are all things we can do on our own. But love, joy, peace, the kind that Paul is talking about, only come from God. So the way to get these things is not to be inspired and leave here to determine you're going to be more loving or you're going to be more kind or for goodness sake, you're going to be more good. You're going to be a good person next week. Um, Paul says, there is none that is good. Um, And as I read a minute ago, Paul said, I have the desire, and so do you, but I don't ever get there on my own. Um, So when you leave here, the key is not to want to be good. The key is to work on letting Jesus have more of your heart. Um, The key is to have a closer, more vital... I'm going to spend time on how you get that. Maybe for you that's prayer. Maybe for you it's the stumbling block of forgiveness. Maybe for you it's all the regret you've never worked through. Maybe, I, I don't know what it is, but focus on letting Jesus... Cultivate that love relationship and these other things start to come out. You can't produce them on your own. You are in a battle for your soul. And if you don't know that, the wrong side is winning. Okay. So... Paul says one of the things that comes out of us uh, when God comes in us is what he calls a goodness. And what does that mean? And part of my problem is that we use the word good for anything that we like. That was a good Sunday. That was a good sermon. That was a good investment. Uh, uh, That was a good movie. That was a good date. Um, And and anything that we think is worthwhile, we will label as good. But we don't always distinguish between things that are worth liking or worth labeling as good and those things that are not. Um particularly in our culture today, uh, which is getting more and more screwed up as we move further and further away from our biblical roots, there is an ongoing pervasive um, confusion 
uh, uh, between what is right and wrong, what is good, what is worthy, uh, what are the things we ought to promote, what are the things we ought to cling to. Um, and so it becomes more and more difficult. What we do see is that bad things that happen when we lose an understanding of biblical goodness. Big-time bankers cheat the system and defraud people who trust it. Big-time preachers of the gospel cheat their followers out of their own hard-earned money to hang out with prostitutes. Billionaires traffic in sex trade with little girls. And now, mass killings, um, shootings of innocent victims come on our screen on TV uh, almost every week. Um, and, And it makes you start to wonder what sort of people are we becoming? We're failing in many ways as a nation today, not because we lack laws, but because we lack character. Because we lack biblical goodness. And I'm thinking that a Bible-based church is the only place where this nation or any other is going to have a reasonably clear picture of what that means. So, what is a good person? Because I believe God has planted in the hearts of every normal person the desire to, the longing to be good. How do you want to be remembered when you die? What do you want the people that you care about to say about you? And you'll have an idea of what it is that goodness looks like to you. As the old saying goes, a good man is hard to find, and one of the challenges is that we confuse it with other things, and we substitute other things for biblical goodness. For example, looking good is not the same as being good, or feeling good is not the same as being good, not even making good is the same as being good, feeling good. I mean, we've got a nation full of people who are focused on just about anything that satisfies our hunger for pleasure. And we have a culture that's telling us that's the right way to go as long as it satisfies that hunger. But it's a poor substitute for being good. The prodigal son um, was all about feeling good. He left home, um, often the way people leave God, because the rules in the father's house were true restrictive. And he knew better. So he went away where he could enjoy himself and immerse himself uh, in pleasure. He forgot about being good and focused on feeling good. And he did. He felt really good for a while. Um, There are others who substitute being good for looking good. 
Um, for them, it's not about what's on the inside. It's about what people can see on the outside. Uh, and I'm not just talking about dressing sharp and being in shape with a well-toned body. I was looking at Grant leading the music today, and I thought back 40 years ago, I looked like that. <laughs> and if you can remember when I looked like that, you're old. Man, you know, looking good. Get that compliment. You look fantastic, darling. I'm not just talking about that. I, I'm talking about people who have been uh, buying the lie that life is all about how things look and not how we really are, who worry about secrets they need to protect with their lives, who wear masks so long that they don't even know themselves what they really look like or who they really are. Because if you wear a mask too long, it gets hard to pull off. Whose greatest fear is that somebody might find out. Samson. Uh, was somebody who looked really good on the outside. Uh, he was impressive. He was big and strong, and he turned a lot of women's heads. In fact, he got so carried away with looking good that he stopped listening even to his own parents when they tried to talk some sense into his head. So when the Philistines called up Delilah to find out the source of his strength, Samson was a sitting duck, and he never saw it coming. Being good is not the same as feeling good or looking good, or even making good. Um, I mean, we all want to leave home and make good, right? We all want to start out at some point in life and uh, make it uh, big, get a little power, make a little money. But some people jump into that whole arena with both feet and start worshiping at the altar of the religion of success. And they'll pay any price in order to make good. The rich young ruler has spent his life making good. And he did. But when this poor tenor preacher came by named Jesus, the contrast was so stark. <laughs> he went up to a man who materially had nothing and said, how can I become good? How can I inherit the eternal life that so obviously wells up inside of you? And Jesus told him, get rid of all this other stuff and follow me. You, you, are, you are almost there. But it's holding you back. It's not helping you. All the stuff you've invested in making good has led you to a place where you realize you'll never be good. 
So get rid of that and follow me. And you know what? When push came to shove, when it was put up or shut up, the thing he cared most about was making good, not being good. So what I'm sharing with you this morning is, if you want to get a grasp of goodness, it doesn't come from us, it comes from God. And it comes out of a conflict and a battle that's going on between our own self-centered, self-trusting nature and the God who is trying to turn us in a new direction. The way to get goodness is not to try to be good. It's to better love the one who is the embodiment of goodness. And let him produce it in you. Never confuse it with feeling good. Feeling good isn't necessarily a bad thing. Looking good is, has its place. Making good is something we all want to do. But all of them make for poor gods. When you start worshiping that direction, it will lead you a place you never thought you were going to be. And you'll come up empty, without resources, wondering, how did Delilah get me so confused? How did I ever get to this place in the first place? Um... Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Um, and, I, and I take that to mean that there's a goodness that comes from godliness that ends up impacting generations after you're gone. That it may affect your children, it may affect your grandchildren, it may change the... The, the very um, posture of your family history. Um, so, some of us have had less than stellar families. Some of us would have the family curses, as, as, as it were, um, and, and we don't know how to change it. And the Bible would say, love Jesus, and he'll change it. Love Jesus and the goodness that you can't get will come inside of you by his power. And Proverbs says, it, it will touch and bless your children's children. Micah said, God has already shown you, O oh man, what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. What Paul says is you can't do that on your own. That's the most important thing to keep in mind. You can't do that on your own. There's a battle, and every day you are seeking to walk by the Spirit. I guarantee you there's a battle going on inside, and you know it. And you struggle with that. I'm not sure what part of it. We all struggle in different ways, but we struggle with it because you want to be more like Jesus. And your old nature wants to... Pursue the things that are just the opposite. If you don't sense a battle, 
The wrong side is winning. Timothy says in regards to qualifications for pastors, he says pastors must be above reproach. Whatever that means. They must be wise and gentle and free from the love of money. They must have a measure of self-control. And what is he describing? He's describing goodness. He's describing what a good person looks like when God is making them good. You already know that. Now, um, in the scripture we read from Luke, um, Jesus says, um, uses a tree, for example, and he says, look at the fruit on a tree. You may not be a horticulturist expert. Um, my wife loves to know what all the trees are. I don't care. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, she carries a book around of trees and leaves. I got, her, I got her an app in which you can take your phone and focus it on a leaf and it'll tell you what it is. Oh, she thought she'd gone to heaven. Now she can know. I just want to take a picture of them. Um, so, so I see a tree. I don't know what it is. She may see a tree and say it's this or that. But I guarantee you I can tell a cherry tree every time when there's a cherry sticking out. I, I could tell an orange tree every time when there's an orange tree popping out. And Jesus uses that to describe exactly what I've been sharing with you. A good person produces certain things because those things have been put inside of him by God. You don't put, pick blackberries from a thistle bush. And you can't get good fruit from a bad tree. You can't get bad fruit from a good tree. And the point being, see, what comes out of us, even when we try not to hide it, most of the time people around can sense it, has to do with what God is doing inside of us. It has nothing to do, by the way, goodness with qualifying for heaven. It's not like there's a standard if we could just reach it, then we get our ticket because Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short. So give that up. We get into heaven by faith in someone who was good, who was perfect, and who died in our place. There's always this exchange. And I don't want that to be a stumbling block for you. When you come to Jesus, you're exchanging something. You're exchanging self for God. And, and as one who's been through it, it can be scary and it can be hard because you don't always know where it's going to go. And we get confused along the way, but it's an exchange. It's not joining the church. It's not even getting baptized. Those are outward symbols of an exchange. Your selfish, self-centered, self-trusting self for God. And when he comes inside of you, those things, the fruit of the Spirit gets planted. 
And who wouldn't want to live with someone who had more love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or gentleness or self-control for that matter? We don't get them from ourselves. We get them from God. Now, before we go, jeez, um, I wish I had another sermon. I would just unpack some of this, but let me do this. Let me take one feature of goodness to help you more color what this concept is about um, and say this to you. A good person has the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. A good person also has what the Bible calls courage. A good person, a person with the goodness of God expresses that goodness through courage. And I'm talking about two kinds of courage. I'm talking about standing up to danger, and I'm talking about standing up to trouble. There is a kind of courage like David had of when he looked at this huge giant in the face and took his stand and would not move. At the peril of his own life, he was trusting in the power of God. And I will tell you this this morning, as our culture moves further and further away from a standard of biblical truth, there will be more and more of us called to have the courage to take our stand and look some Goliath in the face and say, I am not going to move. That doesn't mean be nasty or mean-spirited or ugly, but our culture will never understand the difference until there is inside of those who have godly goodness a courage to take a stand and say, I won't go there, I won't do that, I won't endorse that. I stand for this. Plant your feet and take your stand. But there's another kind of courage. Um, it's of a different kind. It is the courage whereby you face difficulty and trouble. It takes godly courage to hang on to life when you are called to bear what you desperately do not want to bear, sometimes against the unfairness and injustice of life, and yet you face it, you move through it with the kind of courage that is characterized by what the Bible calls patience or endurance or perseverance. It's the kind of courage that finds the courage to keep on moving forward without burning up with rage or crushing down in despair. A good person has courage. Paul said, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right or pure or lovely, Whatever is of good report, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
dwell on those things. That's his way of saying face the spirit of God and move in his direction and do everything you can to cultivate that relationship you have with Jesus. If you've lost it, if you don't sense a battle, the wrong side is winning. Jesus said, a good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good things. There's a battle going on. And you don't win by trying harder. You win by surrendering. You win by loving Jesus. You win by doing the things that work best for you to stay close to him. That's, by the way, when the church comes alive. By the way, that's when worship comes alive. By the way, that's when Sunday school comes alive. And by the way, that's when your witness comes alive. And you can tell. You can. You can tell somebody. Not that they're not struggling. But they're walking in the power of Jesus. See? They're loving in the power of Jesus. They're joyful in the power of Jesus. They're patient. They're suffering long in the power of Jesus. That's where it is. We all know the acts of the flesh. We need to embrace the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's so easy for us to minimalize the truth of your word into something we can somehow manage ourselves and completely lose what you've been talking about in the first place. We all want to be good and we all fall short. And many of us recognize daily the battle that goes on. Um, lots of battles, but the biggest battle for our own souls. A battle we struggle with fear, temptation, guilt, regret, anger, forgiveness, and all the rest. But so often, Lord, we confess that we, we move in the wrong direction trying to get what we don't have. Forget the fountain of life and forget the things that lead us closer to you. And lo and behold, that's where our power is and that's where our love is. That's where our joy is. That's where our peace is. So I, I pray for all of us this morning that want to be good, that you would call us closer to you and remove the obstacles that keep us from being a good man or a good woman or a good parent or a good husband or a good spouse, a good church member. Find ways to follow the one, the only one who can make us good. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
in all likelihood, I'm speaking to somebody who has never made that exchange, who've never received Christ as Lord. Um, and, and maybe something God has spoken to you about this morning has brought that into focus. I can tell you the struggle won't go away. Um, part of the struggle is to stay where you are. Part of the struggle is to look good <laughs> and not pursue being good. But then there are moments when it's so overwhelming and so clear or when the pain is so bad that it's like we can't do anything else. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you to come down the aisle and here at the altar say to God, I'm tired of doing things my way. I want you to be in control of my life. Um, I wish the Christian experience were just an endless journey upward, but you and I know it's an up and down thing. Sometimes we're up and a lot of times we're down. And a lot of times we lose our way. And worship is a way to reconnect. And the altar is the place where we express that outwardly. Don't wear a mask so long that it won't come off. Let's stand together as we sing.